If it's not done in a way that the love is evident to other people, not just we say in our heart, oh, I'm doing this out of love. But if that love is not evident to other people, as the scripture says it will be, then we aren't doing it right. Welcome to the Winsome Conviction Podcast. I'm Tim Muehlhoff, a professor of communication at Biola University in La Mirada, California, and the co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project, a project seeking to reintroduce civility, compassion, listening in today's crazy communication climate. And I don't do this alone. I do it with my co-host and co-director, Dr. Rick Langer. Thanks, Tim. As uh, Tim mentioned, that I work with him in the Winsome Conviction Project, and I'm also a professor of biblical studies and theology here at uh, Talbot School of Theology and uh, am the director of the Office of Faith and Learning here. One of our privileges is meeting and talking with uh, some wonderful guests who come through here at Biola University, and one of those is Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor. And she is a research professor of English and Christianity and Culture at Southeastern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary. And she's written several books. A couple of ones that are particularly relevant for us are is one entitled Fierce Convictions, The Extraordinary Life of Hannah Moore, uh, discussion of a poet reformer abolitionist from what the early 1800s, something in that ballpark. 18th, 19th century. Yeah, and uh, she's also done a lot of writing as really as a, as a Christian public intellectual. And Christianity Today, The Atlantic, Washington Post, First Things, Vox, relevant magazines of that nature. And uh, one of the things that caught our attention was a piece that she wrote early on called Loving Your Ideological Enemy. Uh, that was written, came out, what, four or five years ago, I suppose. And uh, we were intrigued by that. So welcome uh, Dr. Pryor, it's great to have you here with us. It's great to be with you. We are using uh, Dr. Pryor, and we've agreed to call each other by first names for the podcast, but we are certainly using you at Biola University. We've got her running around doing some great <laughs> events, and so we're so pleased that you would take some time and just come and talk about this piece. We, we're always searching for like-minded people and for pieces that we learn from and just really encourage us. So before we jump into details, why, why not just tell us a little bit about why you were felt compelled to even write this article in the first place? Hmm. You know, I was uh, reviewing this uh, for uh, this podcast and the talk I'll be giving later today, and I realized um, that this article was written in 2017, and I remember at that time things seemed so divided and polarized. Mm. And yet here we are. Yeah, we got past that. You had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea. It's it's just incredible to think about. So, um, so yes, we need uh, all of us even more instruction in how to love our ideological enemy. And and it, at this time in writing this article, I think there were just beginning to be some divides among people who call themselves evangelical Christians. And, you know, there were those who were, were going more to a progressive side, those who were going to a more conservative side or remaining in those spheres. But there was just a lot of division um, at that time. And uh, like I said, I had no idea just how much worse it would get. So I'm so thankful to hear about your project. Mm. Um, you have your work cut out for you. <laughs> yeah, we, like we, to, we like to say we, business is good. We, <laughs> we have often thought that it would be nice if business weren't so good. Uh, but it has become very, very difficult. And I appreciate some things you recommend. Tim, you were going to ask about 
some of the things you mentioned in the article. Well, and I love how you not only identify the problem, but you give us a, a surprise, in my estimation, a kind of surprising way to think about it that I thought was very interesting and I thought really applicable to our listeners that we're not talking about starting a grand movement. We're not talking about uh, petitions or protests. We're talking about using your home as a place of hospitality. You call it hospitable orthodoxy. And I wonder if you could just explain sure. that, unpack that for us. Sure. Well, I, I talk about the home as a place for hospitality in a literal sense, but even more so in a metaphorical sense. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I'm a word person. I teach English and I love words. And it's, you know, hospitality or host is such an interesting word because um, because the word means both guest and stranger. Um, so it just really the, the, the root word um, from which we get the word hospital, um, which is an interesting uh, way to think about it. So, so it just means that whether you are someone who is the guest or the host, um, you are strangers to one another. And so to really be hospitable in your home is to open up your home to mm. someone. Um, and you have to have something to offer them if you're going to be hospitable right you, mm -hmm. you are someone who has something you have some walls and you have a roof uh, but and you also have doors and you have hopefully a comfortable chair and maybe a fireplace and some food and so to be hospitable is to have something that's mm. that's important and strong and mm. safe um, but it's also yours and you're not going to just open it up and let pillagers come in and, and destroy it and so when we're talking about our Christian faith, we who consider ourselves to be orthodox, small o orthodox or conservative, or there are lots of labels, um, you know, sometimes they, they work and sometimes they don't. But we are the ones, if, if we believe, if we're the ones who really have a, a high view of scripture and are committed to God's word and his law um, and his teachings, we have a very strong place um, and we can welcome people in but we really need to we are the last ones who need to be defensive or mm. fearful about our beliefs <laughs> um, and yet we live in this time where everyone is just fearful and defensive and um, polarizing even more yeah it, it seems like it, we should be the people who are in effect founded on the rock of ages but we often talk like we're the people who are tending the last sandcastle on the beach as the tide is coming in and the anxiety that comes with that. And then I, I, I almost feel like the anxiety leads and then the anger follows, so to speak, because we're not confident, we become anxious and then we begin to convey in ways that uh, really are marked much more by anger, wrath, things like that than what the New Testament would ask us to do in the in the context of our communication. It sounds like you've spent a few minutes on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it seems like we've created structures to amplify yes. that sort of right. ill-formed tendency in right. our hearts, which is really right. kind of tragic. Uh, I love that you use that word amplify because that actually was part of my purpose in writing this article mm. a few years ago. Uh, it was part of, it was at a time when I was helping to found um, uh, an organization for Christian women called the Pelican Project, which is, exists now and is thriving and doing well. And it was really designed to amplify uh, what we're talking about here. Women who are small o orthodox, who are convicted but compassionate and winsome mm -hmm. um, and strong and engage 
with the public or um, but also do all of that in the context of whatever their church affiliation is their church you know their church home because we do actually believe that the church is is the place where we are um, strong and, and, and confident, a church that is built on, on God's word. And so uh, we wanted to amplify this posture mm-hmm. of Christianity because it's, you know, we, a lot of our debates and divisions are over what we believe um, or ostensibly, but I would go so far as to say, you know, I can, I can take a group of, of, of uh, believers and we all adhere to the same teaching, the same doctrine, the same teaching on the same issues. And I would say that I, we can be like night and day, not because of what we believe, but because of how we communicate that or how we hold to it. And that's what's dividing yeah. us, is our posture, not our position. So when Deborah Tannen, Georgetown linguist who wrote The Argument Culture, says that we're in a communication crisis, Karen, I think she's saying it's on the relational level. Mm. that contempt has entered these conversations and that we're just, we're not communicating in distinctly biblical Mm. ways anymore with these profound disagreements that we have. So I love that you say that. One quick comment and then kind of a weird question. One quick comment is, I think a lot of Christian homes, and I I don't want to be overly judgmental, kind of have the opposite attitude. Hey, the home is where I keep everything out. Mm. This is my safe haven where I'm safe uh, my family's safe, and I'm not inviting those forces into my home. Uh, they get enough of that. I want this to be like a, a protection of outside influences. I love that you're kind of turning that on its head a little bit. Uh, one thing I do in addition to the Winsome Conviction Project is I work with Biola Center for Marriage and Relationships. Mm-hmm. I noted that you and your husband both do this, and I wonder what impact that's had on your relationship to adopt this kind of a uh, Uh, When we speak at marriage conferences, we spoke in our own hometown, which was kind of a mistake because now everybody knows you're the Christian marriage experts. And that kind of made us feel like, oh, that was weird. So doing it together, what impact has it had on your relationship? Well, of course, this article was written pre-COVID. And so, you know, things, you know, where we live has been a very, very high risk area. Um, And so so we have not been able to be as hospitable as we had in in times past. But, um, you know, it was just we've just really enjoyed um, being a place that people will come and visit i mean we we come from the the cold blustery north and so a lot of our friends and family enjoyed coming someplace warmer uh eventually we ended up building a home for my elderly parents who Mm. live with us and so um that's been really a blessing to kind of share um our home our homestead with them uh and so when we've housed students in the past whether um my students i teach college my husband teaches um high school so He's had we've had um, relationships with you know, with 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 graduates mm. of his school, younger people, um, and so it's it's again it's not just a, a literal thing; it's also just metaphorical. We you know even though I teach at a Christian institution, my husband teaches in a public school. We live in a community that is culturally Christian, but you know uh, that's not necessarily <laughs> the same thing as 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 um, as a repentant, (laughs) converted, uh, saved person. Um, And so we just live and move and have our being among a lot of 
people mm. that don't think like we do. Um, and so, we, but we want to be neighbors. We want to be part of the community. And so um, we um, have just developed those kinds of relationships. And of course, that then there's also online. You know, yeah. I mean, that is a whole other mm -hmm. global uh, community. And um, and there's no reason. And, and I, this is actually another article that I wrote um, uh, a few years ago about I think it was they called it, you know, making how to make social media more Christian or something like that. But but my abiding principle is that we should not act any differently online than we would in person. If I wouldn't walk up to a stranger in the street and say something insulting to them mm. or points, um, then I'm not going to do that on Twitter either. I or at least I try not to. It, and it is interesting that Twitter only gives you 160 characters or whatever mm -hmm. and when you think of confrontations or having difficult conversations, you would think, well, that'd be the last place you could possibly do it. Yet, as it turns out, it seems like that's the first place we often go with our conflicts, which seems to just set it up for being a bad discussion. I mean, it's kind of like shouting headlines at each other mm. without ever getting any of the story. That's exactly what the forum invites and encourages and it really takes a lot of intentionality and discipline and virtue um, to work against the design of the of the medium yeah i how I, so i called you in the introduction uh sort of a christian public intellectual i'm just intrigued how did you get going in that vein did you just was you know at, at age four did you wake up and say hey i want to talk about these kind of key <laughs> issues was there an event that happened how did this you know come about for you well they sent out this application you won where's that application um no that is that is an interesting question um the first one of the very first things that I ever had published um, as a young adult, if I think it was, was a letter to the editor in the local newspaper. Um, and it was voicing a very strong opinion. Um, so I think that I've just always wanted to use the written word, um, and now I guess the spoken word as well, to um, not just to share my opinions, but I, you know, my, my strongest spiritual gift is prophecy. So I have a pretty... Um, passionate sense of what's right and what's wrong and what the consequences of, of a course of action will lead to it's um and so for me the discipleship and the the maturation all along has been kind of learning to rein it in and be more um you know be, be more patient um and so i i you know i had this in my personality and and my calling i think uh, you know writing a letter to the editor being a columnist for the student newspaper and then writing opinion pieces about cultural artifacts um and that was all before digital media came along mm. uh, before mm -hmm. facebook and twitter were invented and i was actually i got on facebook the first year it came out as a professor my students were on it and i i wanted to I was curious about it, and I wanted to use yeah. the platform as a place to share ideas. Um, that's all that it, it was for me. If we had a discussion in class that was interesting, I would pull something from that discussion, put it out there on Facebook, and say, well, in class today, we talked about this, this, and this. And I wanted to continue the classroom discussions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on the medium, and that really, even though Facebook has changed and Twitter is out there and they do a lot of different things. For me, that was always 
um, what I wanted to use the medium for is as like a classroom for discussion and dialogue um, because that's how I that's how I am in the classroom and that's how I tried to be out there but of course you know not everyone has that same goal so it gets a little tricky yeah but, but I love um, how you started I, I, it made me think of a Dallas Willard quote people have a vision for their life they just don't want to go through the middle hmm. and I love what you just described is you didn't start by writing for the Atlantic Right. You start, and, and I love that because we all can start where you started. Mm -hmm. It's just, you, it's hard to get to the Atlantic, but everybody can take a risk and, and think very deeply about how they want to communicate, but do it at a local level. And if God wants to morph that and mm -hmm. take it. But can you repeat something you said that I, I thought was so brilliant? I thought we could just end the podcast right there. <laughs> you said about online communication, you gave a principle, and the principle was you wouldn't change how you communicate can you repeat that sure. real quick i i said i think a principle is to not act in any way online that you wouldn't in person that is so good that is it's, just so it's good. so basic but i think i think it's so easy to not do that and and you know and, and it's you know if, if you picture in your mind um again there's someone you're walking down the street and you see someone standing on a soapbox and they're saying something that you think is crazy and you disagree with and you think it's wrong. Most of us aren't going to stop and berate that person. Yeah. We might stop yeah. and engage. We might stop and be polite. Um, so why don't we do that on Twitter when we, you know, come across someone saying something, um, you know, that we think is completely crazy or wrong. Um, stop and engage and ask and maybe point out. But we, we don't start yelling at them. Um, unless we're the crazy person. I, and so just to savor that thought for a minute and just sincerely ask, why do we mm. do that? Mm. And I'm suspicious that the platform rewards it and we want to be rewarded. And we have perhaps kind of, I think uh, Rebecca DeYoung would talk about that as the vice of vainglory, mm. that we want in effect a glory that isn't ours properly so this is a way we can get likes we can have x many k twitter followers yes. or whatever and it feeds something in our soul mm -hmm. so we go with it right but perhaps the call of discipleship would tell us that that isn't a thing we should really be aspiring to right the form itself taps into um the worst part of ourselves those there those parts are already there um, yeah. And they are a struggle for most mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. um, but um, it encourages those worst, worst parts. And that's why we have to be so intentional about, um, about not allowing the form to do that to us. We are being malformed mm. by this form. Yep. And, I, and it works. I, I love what you're saying. Uh, in my class, I teach this communication class. We watch this great TED Talk where uh, it's, I want to make sure I get her name right, Megan Phelps Roper, mm. who left Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, I mean, yeah. she grew up in the church holding signs she couldn't read. Mm -hmm. And she kept on this tour. But when Twitter came along, the Westboro Church wanted to use Twitter. Well, people engaged her in exactly some people. I mean, some were, right. you can imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, but some did exactly what you're saying. And eventually, it really softened her perspective and got her thinking about things and eventually she would leave with one of her sisters so uh, uh, what you're saying is not just idealistic it actually can work it 
it's how we should be behaving with one another all the time. And maybe most of the time it doesn't work. But mm. this, as this example shows, and I, I've seen others, and I've seen it on a smaller scale in my own life, um, where people disagree with me at one point and then later um, come to an agreement. Um, and not that it, not it's not agreement that matters, but just you know, if someone is is acting in a, in a wrong way or you know behaving badly, uh, not just their position. Uh, to me, again, that's that's becoming a more important distinction not just what positions we hold but how we hold them i love that in the in the introductory part of your article you actually made you, you told a couple of stories about uh, some women that you knew who were having kind of a hard time speaking up not so much because they didn't know what to say but they were, were anxious about the response and so they were trying to navigate those waters but then you have this interesting uh comment here let me just read it as I survey the lines demarcating Christian belief, I wonder if some of those who have drifted away from too heterodoxy, in other words, left orthodoxy, both men and women might have stayed if the contemporary church were better at a particularly powerful form of discipleship, namely hospitable orthodoxy. And we've been talking a little bit about this with the metaphor of hospitality. But I'd love to have you just unpack a little bit of your own experience. Tim and I have talked about this before, had some others on the podcast about this, where it seems like the way we talk has not simply become unattractive evangelistically, but actually has driven members of the body of Christ out Mm -hmm. um, because they're going, if this is what mm -hmm. the church and Christianity looks like, I guess mm -hmm. I'm out. Well, it, this is just basic Bible 101. <laughs> <laughs> Scripture commends us to speak the truth in love. Um, Jesus says that we, the world will know us by our love one for another. And so any position that we hold or that we're communicating or we're trying to defend, if it's not done in a way that the love is evident to other people, not just yeah. we say in our heart, oh, I'm mm -hmm. doing this out of love. But if that love is not evident to other people, as the scripture says it will be, then we aren't doing it right. We are disobeying scripture. And yet over and over we are seeing people um, who hold to you know, supposedly correct doctrine. Now, I would I would say if, if you're holding to correct doctrine and the love isn't evident, then your doctrine isn't right. But um, yeah. <laughs> uh, because you really can't separate form from content. But um, but if, if we are seeing people, I mean, there's there's should be no surprise that this is driving people away because it's unscriptural. Yeah. Where do we get these radical guests? <laughs> this is, well, I, I mean, it's so, what you're saying is so tragically simple that we're not called to tolerate our neighbors, we're called to love our neighbors. And yet to hear you say it, I, I look at my own life and think how many times I just don't do that. Um, but, but the church is not known for what you just said. I mean, sadly, that is not a reputation as these people just love us too intensely. That's not how a lot of people feel inside and outside the church. I, I recently was having a conversation, or actually presenting something, but we were having a conversation afterwards, and I had made a comment kind of similar to what you'd said about love at some point has to be the kind of love that the other person can actually perceive it as such. And I got some pretty flaming pushback on mm. that point. It was the essence of which was, look, it's not my responsibility how people respond to the truth. And I wonder, 
I have my own thoughts about that that I'll spare everybody, but I wonder if you could speak a little bit to that because I've heard that more than once and more recently than I would, yeah, very recently. Oh, I have thoughts on this. <laughs> so I actually have a chapter in my book on reading well, finding the good life through great books in which you know, each chapter talks about a different classical virtue or biblical virtue uh, in through the lens of literature. And I have a chapter on love uh, by which I mean agape love uh-huh. right because we have one word in english to do the work of all the different kinds of a love that is talked about in in the bible um and you know we use that word in so many ways we say oh i love mint chip ice cream which i do um, <laughs> <laughs> i love my grandmother i love my husband you know these i, I love warm weather <laughs> but no no i don't love 95 degrees no. um, all of those uses of of love means something different and when it comes to you know the love that we have for one another um even that we cannot we might not know what that means now of course the bible gives us a great definition of love in first corinthians 13 so we have a definition um we don't like to follow it but the other thing that i want to say is our it is so easy for us to have a distorted sense of love and the example that i give in um on reading well um, is I'll never forget, I'm, you know, I've worked for a long time in animal welfare advocacy. So I follow some of these issues. But when Michael Vick, uh, the former mm. NFL player who mm-hmm. was arrested mm-hmm. for um, on drug charges and dog fighting, he was running a huge dog fighting operation. Um, he was interviewed and he said, I love my dogs. Mm. And I believe he meant that. Mm. I believe he does not know what love is. And that's why he could say something like that. Because for him, love is like possession and power over and, you know, a desire to have. Um, none of none of the things that the Bible tells us constitutes love. And so that's an extreme example but how easily we can apply that to any situation where an abusive, uh, manipulative man says, you know, he does this out of love for his wife or a you know a leader manipulates those that he serves and calls it love for them or the institution we you know but the bible gives us a definition of what love is so when i was in grad school we watched this uh uh, it was a feminist class we watched this documentary on pornography and what really struck me was the name of the documentary and it was called not a love story and to see that growing up in the pornification of America, uh, for them to just name it correctly, mm. this is not love. Whatever you're seeing right now, right. let's not call this a love story in any way. So I, I love that, that people are getting their definitions from culture, from uh, family backgrounds, which can be good or bad. But then we can come along and embody the Christian perspective of love. And, and what I also want to just add to what you're saying is Paul then says take this and give it to your enemies. Mm. Don't just do it to people right. that you connect with or like or your political party. Or I mean, we need to specifically uh, go out in such a way and embody it with very people that would look at us and, and say that you're the enemy of my community. I think that's really powerful. Well, gosh, we... All right, so we haven't even gotten to Karen's amazing observations of people who practice this type of hospitality... Uh, this has been, Karen, this has been great taken in, in different directions like this. So what we're going to do is I think we're going to take a break, but we're going to come back because you have about like six or seven observations about 
people who actually do this, and I, I have to admit, they are really challenging, your observations. So we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to come back. Would you join us for another segment? I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. If you're hot, you're hospitable enough. We'll, we'll extend you hospitable orthodoxy. We might round up some mint chocolate chip. I'm just saying. I don't know. <laughs> well, we'd like to thank you all for joining us for this episode. And uh, the Winsome Conviction podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever it is you like to get your podcasts. And it's part of the Winsome Conviction project. And you can check out a lot more of the things that we do at the WinsomeConviction.com website. And uh, thanks so much for joining us.